Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Matthew chapter 28, and I want to begin reading there with verse 19. Matthew 28 and 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, everybody say the name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Anybody can tell me what that name is. Let's say it a little louder. Jesus. Yeah, praise God. And then in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Bible says to go, it says to teach, it says to baptize. And then it basically tells us, teaching them to observe all things, to make disciples. I want to talk about something that's been on my heart, and I have uh, a few weeks ago kind of started this theme, and I want to continue on it, but I want to talk about the attributes of a successful soul winner. The attributes of a successful soul winner. Would you pray the Lord help us tonight and that our hearts would be open to receive from the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would touch people's hearts, that you would stir people's souls. I pray, God, that you would help us to be moved upon and to receive again a passion and a desire to see the lost reach. Help us, God, be brought back to what the purpose of the church is. And that is to fulfill this great commission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you and thank you for standing. As I have considered the last little while, a lot of folks can think of this time as being a time of survival. But as I read this letter to you, inspired me again that this is a time of opportunity and it's really a time for the church to stand forth and be the church be the example to the world of hope because there's a lot of people that are searching and looking and seeking for hope but perhaps they don't know how to find it they don't know where to find it and that's where you and I come in I recently heard a story about a gentleman that went on to be a successful pastor and man of God and used of the Lord to win many souls, but he told his own testimony of how that in his family, which was very large, 11 siblings uh, born into this family, 11 children, and he had 10 siblings. 11 in total. And so uh, one of them, uh, a sister that was just older than him, I believe, was born afflicted 
and uh, she she had some maladies that the doctor says that that she's not going to overcome it. She's only going to live uh, to be, I think it was 10 or 11 years old. That's that's as far as she can possibly make it. And she did live to be uh, 20-something years old. He said she was a great joy to their family. He said we never saw her as a burden, even though we had to carry her everywhere uh, that she went. We, we, we had to help her. We had, each one of us had a responsibility to look after her and protect her. And he said, I would carry in my arms to the bus stop when it was time to go to school. And, and then in the evening when the bus dropped us off, he said, I would carry up the long dra- driveway to the house. And uh, so uh, just uh, e- each evening we would eat our meals together and we would help her as she was served food, and we'd help her to eat and take care of her as best as we could. And it was just a joy to do so. And uh, he said she was a joy to our family. And then he began to describe how that she began to grow more and more sick. And the time came that as he was coming in one evening, his oldest brother was carrying her out of the house in his arms. And he knew that something was tragically wrong, and they were taking her to the hospital. A few hours later, he received the call. He was the one that answered the phone as they was to notify the rest of the family that she had passed away. And he said that grief gripped his heart like he had never felt. He was just a young man. And he said, I was still yet in high school. And and he said, "I, I never experienced a loss up until that point in my life like this. And I was very grieved at prospect of losing a family member. And he said, I that night tried to go to bed. He said there was that little house that we lived in. My brothers and I, we shared a, a room. And he said several of us sleeping in there on twin beds. And uh, there was no air conditioning in the house. And he said the windows were open. It was during the summertime. And he said, I couldn't sleep. He said, I got out of the bed. He said, I was, I was stricken with grief. I was very, very concerned about what this was going to do to our family and how it was going to affect our family. And he said, I got down. He said, we weren't raised to be religious, didn't know much about God, didn't even know if there was a God. He said, I got down. He said, I'll never forget it. Between those two twin beds and he said I looked out a rusty screen window out and under some it was a full moon night and you could see the shadows underneath the sweet gum trees in the yard and he said I begin to look out that window and pray my first prayer that I can remember and he said God I don't know if you're out there he said I don't know if you're real he said I don't know how to get in contact with you But he said, this is what I'm asking. If you're out there, he said, I don't know how to find you, but I pray that you would find me. I pray that you would find me. And the Lord did find him. But as he told that story, and I I rehearsed that story in my mind throughout the day, I thought about the many people of this city 
that are possibly praying that same prayer, maybe not in those exact words, but they don't even know if there is a God for sure. They're not totally convinced that there is, but they know that they need something more than what they've got. They understand that they're in need of a touch from the Lord. They understand that they need more hope. They need help in this life, that life is complex and troubling in their situations, and they need something more than what they have. And maybe they're praying, God, I don't know if you're out there, but if you are, I I can't find you, but I am praying that you would find me. And can I just say to you that we are the instruments that God's going to use to do that. We are the instruments that God is going to use to reach people and to get the gospel out. That's just the method and the way that God has chosen. And for us to excuse ourselves from this important mission that we, we understand, and I read it to you here tonight, is a command from the Word of God. I don't know how we can be so firm on Acts 2.38, so firm on the oneness of God and the doctrine, uh, the apostolic doctrine, which I believe wholeheartedly, and not be firm on this because this is the last will and testament that the Lord gave to His people before He ascended into heaven. And those that would establish His church, I don't know how we can just dismiss ourselves from the responsibility of reaching souls and showing compassion to those that are lost. And as I approach this message tonight, I don't approach as an expert in soul winning. I, like you and everybody else, am endeavoring and working towards and praying about God using me and helping me to become better in this particular area. And all of us can get our eyes off the ball. All of us at one point or another can become distracted in our relationship with God. And uh, I, I have in times past been, been used of the Lord and reaching people other than just in the pulpit ministry. I don't believe that just because I am a preacher or a pastor that I am exempt from this responsibility. But uh, I prayed the Lord and, and He has at times used me in Bible studies and other forms of outreach and one-on-one discipleship. And all of those things are effective and they're important. And as I was considering this and thought about some of the attributes, and I wouldn't be able to cover them all, but I just, I just felt like the Lord impressed a few of them upon my heart. The, the attributes of a successful soul winner. In observation, I've, I've noticed these things about people that are, in fact, soul winners. And number one, is that they have an enthusiasm. A soul winner has to have enthusiasm. There has to be an excitement. There has to be a thrill and a passion for the things of God. In fact, in sales of any kind, and I know we don't equate this exactly to corporate sales or business or any of those types of things, but but we are really, in a way, we're, we're, we're propagating the gospel. We're getting the word out. And uh, we're, we're selling the most precious commodity that there is. 
And there is a cost that's involved in this. And that is that a person has to dedicate their life and give their life to serving the Lord to inherit eternal life. Can you say amen? And so that's what we're trying to sell, if you will, or convince or persuade. Uh, the Bible talks about persuading men. And that's what we're endeavoring to do is to persuade people to come to God and to live for God, to serve the Lord. This would be the greatest decision that any person could make is to serve the Lord. So what we're endeavoring to, to reveal or show or share with them is going to benefit their life. You've got to understand that. It's going to benefit their life. It's going to help. It's going to improve their life. How many in this place here tonight, you can testify to the fact that coming to God, receiving the truth, living for Him has benefited you and blessed you and improved your life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Perhaps it takes somebody that has been out there in the world, that has been out there in sin, that has been bound by sin to really fully appreciate it. I think sometimes us that have been basically raised in the church, it's hard for us to grasp this. It's hard for us to fully appreciate this. But I want to tell you, everybody hasn't been raised on church pews. Everybody has not experienced uh, the truth from a young age. Everybody has not had the benefit of being in Pentecostal atmospheres all of their lives. And that is a great advantage to us. And so much the more do we owe and uh, too much is given, the Bible said. Much is required. We're not off the hook just because we've been raised in this. Matter of fact, we have a greater responsibility to share the gospel. Can you say praise the Lord? And so uh, enthusiasm, it's just one of those things that, that is an attribute of anybody that is a soul winner. They're excited. You see any person that is in sales of any kind that's any good at it, they have an enthusiasm about it. Amen. They have an enthusiasm about it. They're excited about it. In some way, they know how to stoke that fire and to keep that up and to keep that excitement because they realize that their livelihood depends upon it. Well, I'm going to tell you there's a whole lot more at stake here. The church... And the life of the church is in our ability to reach souls. Amen. Our ability to reach souls. And enthusiasm is a big, big part of that. Matter of fact, statistically, it is proven that new converts win the most souls, are the most productive in uh, producing growth in the church, if you will, are bringing people to God. And they say in the first six months after con conversion is the most productive period of the new converts uh, living for the Lord and, and winning souls. That, that, that period of time is the most effective time, statistically. Well, that may be true, and, 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 and what they're trying uh, to, to reveal or what this study reveals to us is that after that period of time, people tend to get settled in. They tend to lose that zeal of newness, and 
lose their drive and people become uh, less passionate. Church becomes more about them and their need and their likes and their dislikes and focused uh, really entirely upon just meeting the things that I desire and what I want from, from God. And so we fall into a maintenance type atmosphere. And church becomes more of a deal where it's what I can receive out of it. I want preaching to be focused towards me. I want, I want uh, things to, to be uh, what I'm thrilled and what excites me and what helps me. And uh, really I'm going to leave it up to those that are in leadership to, to do the majority of, of creating an atmosphere in which anybody can receive something from God in. And uh, if it gets outside of, of what I need, I need a healing, I need provision, I need this, I need encouragement in this area. And so if we're not extremely careful, church can become a pep rally from service to service to kind of keep us uh, encouraged and keep us living for God. I'm going to tell you, the majority of you that are in this room tonight, if you got to have that from service to service to continue living for God, you're probably not going to make it because the majority of you in this room have heard enough preaching to save the world. You've heard a lot of preaching. Most of you are connoisseurs of preaching. I'm going to tell you this area of the country is, uh, is preaching poor, just to be honest with you. When I came to East Texas from California and preached, there was... In this district alone, 450-some-odd churches. That's not counting the whole state, folks. That's just counting uh, the eastern portion of the state. 400-something-odd churches in this region of the country. You shake pine trees around here, apostolics fall out of them. And believe me, you, the majority of folks... They know what good preaching is, and they know what really doesn't qualify as good preaching. And, and you know, it's become almost a performing art. And people, they, they, they like good preaching, and we all like good preaching. I'd rather hear good preaching than bad preaching. It's all right to say amen to that. And uh, you know what? I've learned in this, in all of the endeavors of being in this area of the country for now almost well, over 25 years, is that, uh, you know, you better step it up. You better be a preacher if you're going to survive as a preacher down here. And, and, and that's just the way it is because people have cut their, and it's a generational thing that has been on for, for many generations now, and that is good. But, you know, instead of us allowing it to become entertainment to us, really we ought to be ahead of the pack. We ought to be further down the trail, as it were. We ought to be more progressed than that and realize, hey, we know more, and because we have and know more, we ought to have more momentum. We ought to have greater church and more powerful church and more anointed church. We know what it takes to have revival. We know what it takes to have a move of God. We have no excuses. We have the best of the best. It's time for us to show the world what Pentecost is really supposed to look like. It's time for us to demonstrate to the world that is around us uh, that, hey, this is a church 
church that knows how to pray. This is a church that knows how to worship. This is a church that you can come and hear good preaching. This is a church that you can come to and people are excited about serving God. Hey, we've had enough church and enough preaching to keep us up here as far as encouragement is concerned. And to keep us thrilled about serving the Lord. We've we've had it all. And we're very blessed because of that. We've got to keep that zeal that we come into this thing with. Can you say praise the Lord? That's one of the most amazing things that I find about the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Is his perpetual passion for lost souls. He, He just all. I mean no matter what kind of obstacle. They would. You can read where they beat them, laid stripes on their backs. And as soon as they would release them, they couldn't hardly wait to get back out on the street and preach the gospel again. Opposition didn't keep them from trying to win souls. Uh, Resistance didn't keep them. They saw that as an opportunity for them to further tell their testimony. When when people would come and opposition would rise against them, they didn't they didn't say, "Oh God, why is this happening to me? Why is this taking place?" They knew that if we get put in prison, there must be somebody in the prison house that God wants to win, that God wants to touch their heart, that God wants to see say, and I'm going to do my best to preach the gospel to them. In fact, it is said historically that the Apostle Paul, they had to change the guards periodically more than just the normal shift because if they let the same guard at his cell for very long, he was going to persuade them to be baptized in Jesus' name and he would pray for them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They put guards, extra guards on the cell of he and Paul Uh, or Paul and Silas, and the Bible says that when the prison doors were open after they got a prayer meeting and a a worship session breaking out there in the prison, when the doors came open and there was an earthquake in the prison, that the guard was going to fall on his sword and commit suicide. And Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. We're not going anywhere. We're not just looking for what is in this for us, but we're looking to see you saved. And that's the attitude we got to get is it's not just about me. I'm not just having church for me. I'm not just coming here for me and what I can get out of it. But I want to see somebody else impacted. I want to see somebody else changed. I want to see somebody else's life touched by this powerful gospel. It was powerful enough to change us. Many of you in this room have a great testimony of what God has done for you. And if it's that powerful, you've got to believe that God is able to use it to change somebody else's life also. Can you say praise the Lord? And so uh, this man, I mean, they would do anything to try to oppose him. And yet he continued with a passion to reach out to souls in the prison all the way until the day that he was beheaded. He never lost his passion for souls. And how do you keep that? I mean, it's one thing to have it for the first six months or even the first six years if we give it that long. What do you do to keep it burning in you for years until Jesus comes? Let it just increase and grow stronger. Well, just using the simple analogy of a fire. A fire must have fuel to continue to burn. These big forest fires, they don't see how much water they can dump on them. 
because they know that fire is so intense and so hot, there's no way and there's not enough water. They may use it in certain hot spots, but normally what they do is try to go out ahead of the fire and they try to uh, do what they call a controlled burn or burn back to the fire line and take the fuel away from the fire. If you live in certain areas where there is the threat of fire, they have certain laws in place where you have to debris and you have to go in there and get the underbrush out. I've got a friend that lives in the foothills and, and uh, up above Los Angeles and, and there's a requirement for them to debris their land up until certain distance away from the homes because you got to take the fuel away. They know a fire is coming, but they know the only way that they can safely survive it is to take the fuel away. I'm going to tell you, we got to keep the fuel in our own lives through being in the house of God, in the presence of God, being provoked by the Word of God, doing our own taking our own due diligence to read God's Word and to pray on our own and to seek God on our own and do the will of God in those. I'm going to tell you another thing. When you get involved in the work of God and you start winning a few souls for yourself, those wins will give you more energy and desire and more enthusiasm to get back out there and win some more. So you start talking to somebody about Jesus, something will start bubbling up on the inside of you. God begins to anoint you and you feel that anointing, and you feel God using you in those areas, it'll encourage you to go out and do it some more. So really what we need is some wins under our belt. Amen. You get out there and win a couple of souls, and you'll become a soul winner. Amen. So, you say, well, I don't know if I've got what it takes. Well, Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things ye desire, if you desire it. You know, we've got a way as human beings of improvising and doing whatever it takes if we really desire to do something. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're out there in the cold. I mean, we can identify with the cold tonight, can't we? You're out there in the cold and... Uh, you, you, you're going to have to have a fire to survive. Well, you know what? You'll figure out a way. You'll find a way. There was these astronauts that were, and I can't remember exactly what mission it was, but things were going wrong. I think it was on the particular mission the first time that they had, had went into space. And you know there was a lot of complications. Uh, that's where the, the phrase, Houston, we have a problem came from and and so they were trying to figure one particular there was a particular part that had broke and they needed to have it fixed in order to survive and uh, they asked what do you have and they began to describe the implements that they had and I think uh, was some duct tape and some other things and 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 basically what it got down to was you do whatever you have to do to make it work and those men under the pressure of losing their lives, they were able to concoct a remedy and uh, with, with a few things that, that really they weren't designed or they weren't made for this, but they were able to be uh, conformed into that. I'm going to tell you, when you've got a desire, when, when it comes down to it, when you realize what's at stake here, you can make 
a go of it. You can do it. Can you say praise the Lord? When you really want to see your family members say, when you really want to see your friends say, we, we can do it. I know it's not us that saves them, but it's God using us to, to reach out to them and to tell them and to give them an opportunity. I'll never forget probably one. We brought him here several years ago, Brother Morel Cornwell, probably one of the greatest soul winners of our generation. And uh, I remember him telling about how that when he uh, first came to God and, and then began his ministry as an evangelist, he said his preaching was so pitiful. He said his dad, who was not in the church, came and listened to him, and he said, the next night, they were sitting on the porch and visiting. He said, son, I only got one piece of advice for you. He said, what is that? He said, would you please ask the places where you go to preach to take up the offering before you preach? Because if they take it up after you preach, you're going to starve to death, son. He said, that's how bad my preaching was. Now, we know that he's a great preacher today. But, but anyway, he was just saying that he, he, didn't, he didn't make it on preaching. And... Uh, so he was evangelizing, and he said there was a, uh, a couple that was giving a, a seminar, and, and he went uh, to be a part of its church seminar, and he said the, the woman was up talking, and uh, it was Elder Sister Mangan, and she was talking about winning souls. And she, she used that scripture that I just referred to, Mark chapter 11, verse 24, anything you desire. And she kept driving that home. If you desire it, if you desire it, if you desire it. And he said, I just took her out of word. He said, I ran down there after the session was over and said, I want you to, you and your husband to pray for me. And she looked at him and said, what is it that you want? He said, I want to be the greatest soul winner in America, in North America, I believe he said. I want to be the greatest soul winner in North America. And I'd have to say that he probably is one that has taught more Bible studies and won as many souls as anybody that I know breathing. And, uh, you know, out of desire, out of a person having a desire and out of a person having a passion to say, I want to be used of God. I want to I I reach somebody. I want to do my part. And if we're not careful, we look at certain people and we say, well, they're in this camp and they're in that camp and, you know what, you need to put all that aside and just say, you know what, I'm going to be inspired and I'm going to receive the good out of uh, things that people do that is for the good of the kingdom of God and quit worrying about all of that so much and start worrying about you doing something for God and for his kingdom and seeing revival because, again, this is our responsibility. Hey, I learned a long time ago I'm only responsible for what happens right here. And I'm not going to worry about whether somebody else over here crosses every T and dots every I just like I do, whether I'm inspired by them. If they got some good that they can inspire me with, then I'm going to receive that, and I'm going to do something for the kingdom of God. I've got to stand for what I stand for and the convictions I stand for here. But we can be inspired by a few people that we may not agree with them in every detail, in every way. I don't want to look down my nose and discredit everything they've done just because of a few things that I might not agree with. Can you say praise the Lord to that? Amen. And so it's very important that we find what fuels us, what inspires us, 
what, what can turn our crank, as it were, because we've got to have enthusiasm. And it's important that we be equipped with an understanding of God's Word. You know, the Bible says that he that wins souls is wise. You've you got to have a knowledge and an understanding of some things. You've got to understand timing, and we could talk about that in and of itself as a subject on its own. But you ought to have a knowledge of God's Word. You can't, in the heat of the moment, when you're trying to tell somebody about the Lord, say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. I'd like for you to get with my pastor. And let me, let me come back and, and get you connected with him or some other saint in the church, and, and maybe they can explain this to you a little bit better. No, you need to be able to give an answer for yourself. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen? You don't have to be able to explain the book of Revelation to win a soul. You don't have to know everything there is uh, about the end time and explain Daniel's 70th week to be able to, to win a soul. Amen? But to win a soul to have a knowledge of the gospel and be able to explain the gospel and lead people in the scripture to the God. Everybody ought to know how to do that. Everybody ought to be able to explain what they believe as far as the gospel is concerned and lead people in that. We've got to have a knowledge of it. Acts 18, the Bible says that Apollos was an eloquent man and a man that was mighty in the scripture, but there were some things that he didn't understand. Matter of fact, he still believed in the baptism of John. And when he came and met Aquila and Priscilla, the Bible says they took him unto them. And that's key. In other words, they, they took him unto them. They invited him in their circle. I'm going to tell you, you cannot win souls and be an exclusive type of person. You will never, a church will never be a soul-winning church as long as it feels like a club. As long as it feels like there's this in-crowd deal, or this clan that we got going on here. I'm going to tell you, you ought to be thankful that you've been included in the kingdom of God. And there's no room for cliques. There's no room for clans. There's no room for you're in or you're out. We're inclusive around here to people coming in and finding what it takes to be saved. doesn't matter where they come from. doesn't matter their social and economic background. It certainly doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter. Any of those things shouldn't matter. This is a whosoever will gospel. I said this is a whosoever will gospel. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. And so everybody, there's equality when it comes to the cross. Everybody stands on level ground at Calvary. Can you say praise the Lord? Everybody else had, everybody had to come the same way. We've all had to repent. We've all had to weep bitter tears of sorrow and repentance and say, God, I'm sorry. And we've all had to go to the waters of baptism and have the same words spoken over us in Jesus' name for the remission of sin. And every one of us had to humble ourselves and yield ourselves to receive the glorious gift of the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues. So there's no big eyes, little use. Everybody's the same when it comes to the kingdom of God. We all need mercy. We all need God's grace. We all need this truth in order to be set free. So an understanding of God's word. They took him 
to their to themselves and took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. He said, You got some understanding. We're not just here to tell you that that this 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 doesn't uh, you don't know anything. You know, you, about everybody in East Texas is saved. You guys didn't know that? I mean, just about everybody. East Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi. I've been to all of it. Everybody's saved. Everybody's accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I'm not making fun. Matter of fact, just the opposite. And so, what do we do? How do we deal with that? Do we just look for people that have never darkened the doors of any kind of church and that's the only type we reach and try to... No, we're doing just what... Aquila and Priscilla did. We're showing them the way of God. We're, we're revealing to them that it takes more than just that. Matter of fact, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, when you believe something, it requires some obedience in some areas. It requires you do something. It requires some action on your part. And those same people that, that you say that, or that said that in the Word of God, you find out what they did, what kind of action. We got a book called The Acts of the Apostles. And it's in the Acts of the Apostles you find the actions of those believers. And in there they baptize in Jesus' name. And they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. So it's more than just a, just a mentalist sin. It's more than just coming in and professing a couple of things or saying a few things uh, after somebody else, repeating a sinner's prayer. It's going to take more than a Roman road. You better find out that you're not just going to Rome. You better find out what it takes to be saved and to go to heaven. Come on, we're on an upward trajectory. We're going to heaven. We want to be saved. We want to be right with God. So what I got to do to be saved? Well, there's several examples of conversions in the scripture. And in every case, amen, where people were baptized, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In every case, amen, where people were born again and the details of the story is given, they received the wonderful experience of the Holy Ghost. And it says things like this, for they, we heard them or we heard them speak in other tongues just like we did. Amen. And so we know they received the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues is essential to salvation. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a blessing and addendum to. It's not just a spare tire. It's an essential. If you have not the Spirit of Christ, the Bible says that you're none of His. Amen. And so if we really believe that and we really understand that, we've got to get this out, folks. We can't hide this because there's not very many folks in comparison to the population of this city that have received this experience of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So we've we got to get that. we got to get that in our hearts. And we've got to get that out, get the gospel displayed to people and explain the way of God more perfectly. And the Bible said when they did this that Apollos went forth and he mightily convinced the Jews. That was a hard lot to convince because they were steeped in their doctrines. They were steeped in what they believed. They did not believe in Jesus Christ. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. But he convinced them because why? Because he had it explained to him. Can you say praise the Lord? Third thing is a person needs, and if you're going to be 
successful soul winner, you need an eternal perspective. We must guard ourselves against having only an earthly perspective. Only thinking of terms of this world, this life, and possessions, and the comfort, and the desires that we have to be fulfilled in this life. This life's pretty fleeting, folks. I'm not as old as some of you in this room, but I can tell you I got here quicker than I thought it could ever happen. Amen? And you, you got to where you're at quicker. And, and, and all of you young folks that think, man, when am I ever going to turn 16? And when am I ever going to turn 25? And when am I ever going to do this? And when I, you get there. I promise you. You get there. You just keep on breathing. You'll get there. And it'll happen. You'll turn around and say, well, hi, Lord in heaven, how fast did I get to this point in my life? You know, you spend half your life trying to get old enough and, and the other half of your life trying to get young again. Amen. You know, I, I thought everybody took vitamins and all that business. There's something wrong with them. I've been taking a few myself lately. <laughs> Trying to find that fountain of youth. No. But I tell you, life moves along pretty swift. And I'm going to tell you, it's what we do for Christ is what the old song says. It's going to last. You can make a lot of money, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have much. You can attain a lot of education, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't know much. I said, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know much. And I used to kind of get fired up, folks, that didn't have any education, talking about education and down on education all the time. I don't believe that it's wrong for a person to pursue education in this life, but come on, let's put it in perspective. Let's understand that's not the most important thing that's going on in this world. And anything we obtain, we're, we're doing it so that we can better identify and reach and use it to, to, to further the kingdom of God. We're not doing it so we can be puffed up because the Bible said knowledge puffeth up. That doesn't sound very good to me. That doesn't sound like the crowd I want to be associated with. Matter of fact, if you're educated very much, you ought to know how much you don't know. I said, you ought to know by now how much you don't know. I'm going to tell you, I'll be the first to admit to you. I know a few things about Peter, James, and John. But outside of that, there's a whole lot of stuff I don't know. And there's more I want to know about this. And this is the main thing in all of our lives. So let's keep in perspective that we're here to further the kingdom. That's our main purpose. That's our main reason for being. That's the reason why this church is here, is to make disciples. That's the sole purpose of our existence. Come on, you ought to write it across your heart. That's why I'm here, is to win souls. Say praise the Lord. And we need to get that fervency back to do so. Amen. Yeah, you got to have an internal... we got to realize, hey, there's folks that are going to hell. A real... It's, hell's not a figment of an imagination. It's not something that we've designed uh, to, to cause people to, to fear. It's nothing like that. It's a real thing. And people are going to spend an eternity there. And hell is in a building program, according to my Bible. It has enlarged itself beyond measure, the Bible says. The devil is intense about what he's doing. It says that he comes down with great wrath. Seeing it but a short time, I'm going to tell you the devil's working overtime. 
right now as we speak. You've got to be able, if you have any discernment at all, you have to be able to recognize that. That he's working over time right now. It's time for us as the church to be commensurate in matching him for the same passion, the same drive. I'm going to tell you, nobody has to, has to inspire the devil. He's inspired. He's passionate about destroying souls. He's never lost his zeal, not for thousands of years, in trying to destroy humanity and to take humanity's souls to hell. And he's still doing it tonight. It doesn't matter how many's in hell. He still wants one more. It doesn't matter how many, how many people he's brought down, how many families he decimated, how many lives he's destroyed. He wants more. He's insatiable in his appetite to destroy. The only way we can fight fire is with fire, the Bible says. The kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. I remember home missionary service years ago, I think it was in 1981. It was the first general conference that I'd ever attended. And I remember in that home mission service, they, they were talking about people going to cities and different places. Used to, we really really preach for the souls of men and to stir people up and to move men and uh, more than than we preach for money or preach for any of those kinds of things more than trying to raise a big offering we, we, we preach for men to go and to win souls and I think that's the that's the thing that we've got to get back to is preaching to motivate people to get in the field because you can send money but there's got to be somebody that goes because that's how the Bible tells us that the gospel and revival is going to happen. Amen. That's how we're going to replicate ourselves. And so in that service, a man got up and he talked about soul winning. and He had went to a city and he said, when I went to that city, I was told by those before I left an experienced uh, church builder. He said, when you go to that city, go to the near cemetery in, in the downtown area, near a cemetery to the downtown. And he said, you go find the freshest grave that you can and you kneel down beside of it and you apologize for arriving there too late. And then he told about how that he was able to teach a Bible study to a man that had just found out that he had uh, contracted cancer. And the man, not long after, he won him to God through that Bible study went out into eternity and he said I was able to preach his funeral knowing that we we did get there in time for him. We gotta have an eternal perspective. And then finally, I think it's important that we have an encouraging attitude. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to tell you that first of all a soul winner has to stay encouraged themselves. First Samuel chapter number thirty David, after the horrible stealing and plundering of, of their wives and their children and the burning down of Ziglag, the city that he had developed, the Bible says he's standing there and men have stones in their hands wanting to stone him. Everybody's turned against him. The Bible said he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You have to, in low moments, be able to encourage if you got to be encouraged from week to week to continue to live for God, there's something wrong with your Holy Ghost. Amen. If you're 
up and down in your mood swings. and It's going to be hard for you to be effective as a soul winner because people are not attracted to negative folks. People are not a, a, attracted to people that are always down in the mouth and always talking about how bad it is and always airing out their dirty laundry and always talking about and walking around mood shifts and always got their feelings on their shoulders. Come on, folks. Uh, it's time we wake up and realize we're the most blessed people in the world to have what we got to experience the power and the joy of the Holy Ghost. Uh, hey, this is the most incredible thing that could happen to a human being. I don't have one reason to be down in the mouth. I don't have one reason. If I have a bad day to compare with the good days that I've had, I need to keep my mouth shut and not share it with anybody else and take my problems and take my disappointments to God because he's the one that's able to help me. I'm sure not going to tell a sinner that I'm trying to reach about how bad I got it. I'm going to tell them how good it is to live for God. Sure, I have some bad days, but my good days days far outweigh my bad days and even if I have some bad time I got a God that is able to help me he's able to strengthen me he's able to bless me he's able to see me through this I've been through enough to know that God takes care of his own I've seen God work in situations enough by this point I know he can heal me I know he can keep me I know he can provide for me I know that he'll work it out I know he'll protect me hallelujah Oh, yes. We can't be down in the dregs all the time. We can't be depressed all the time and gloomy all the time and on the doom side of things all the time. Come on. It's not just half empty. It's half full. Change your attitude about it and look at it in a positive way. You've you got to be friendly. You've got to be an inviting person. Amen? We can get so accustomed to run with the same folks all the time that we don't befriend anybody else. We don't, we don't look to anybody new. You've got to find common ground. And the way you can do that is be a good listener. Be a good listener. You know, if you're the type of person that I can't hardly wait until you get done talking so I can tell you one that's bigger than that. Better than that. I'm going to top that. <laughs> that doesn't impress folks. But take an interest in them. And I know that's human nature. I understand all that. But, 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 but catch yourself and realize, hey, I'm going to let them glory in that just a little bit. I'm going to encourage them. I, I'm going to be a noticer. I'm going to notice something that I can accentuate in a person's life and be positive about. There may be 10,000 things negative about them, but I'm going to find the one thing that I can compliment them on and talk good to them about. Amen? I'm not saying be superficial. I'm not telling you to, certainly not telling you to be disingenuous or any of those things, but there's got to be something that you can find. Instead of nitpicking and criticizing them, find something that you can accentuate and build them up from there. And don't let your own insecurities become a hindrance to you. You know, if we're not careful, our own insecurities will be our biggest in, inhibitor in winning souls. We, well, they, they, they don't want anything I got. And you've convinced yourself. And you, you, you talk to yourself like that. And, and before you know it, you've convinced yourself that, you know, 
They don't want this truth. They don't want this gospel. Well, I'm going to tell you, everybody deserves an opportunity, first of all. And everybody needs a chance. And you might be surprised. And the Bible said, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow abundantly, you're going to reap. Or bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And so it's important that we get out there and spread the seed. And you do it in the good times and the bad. I mean, any preacher that's worth his salt knows you've got to preach through storms. You've got to preach when there's a big crowd. You've got to preach when there's a small crowd. You've got to preach just with the same fervency, and you can't talk about uh, the bad things and the negative things. You've got to have faith that it's going to get better and it's going to improve. Every saint of God has to develop that attitude. That's what's attractive. Show interest in people. And when people, as Aquila and Priscilla, they brought him to them. And when he trusted them, he could trust what they had to tell him. When people see Christianity displayed in you, they say, what is it that's different about you? Everybody else, man, they cuss and throw fits and get mad, throw the stapler across the office. I hope you don't do that. Cheat people. Stomp on people's backs to get ahead. All this. But you don't do that. What is it that's different about you? You, you don't play the games that the world plays. You don't, you don't act like the world acts. You don't have the same attitude and demeanor. I'll tell you what it is. It's this wonderful experience that I have. It's called the Holy Ghost. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. In fact, you ought to come to my church and there's a, there's a whole lot of us that have it. There's a whole lot of us that have experienced. There's a whole lot of us that have received it. It's a great thing. Why don't you stand with me? Luke chapter number 19 and verse 13. A nobleman called his servants together and he distributed certain talents to them. And he said, I want you to occupy until I come. Most of them, the majority of them, understood what that meant. That meant go out and put in service and increase and develop and multiply this that we've been given. We've been distributed a talent here. We're not just to set on it and protect it. We're to distribute it and increase it. And when he comes again, it needs to be multiplied. You know, there's certain talents that people are innately born with. I mean, you just, you got it. I mean, and there's other talents that have to be developed, right? I mean, I know people, it, it, nobody had to really teach them per se. They just kind of worked on a little bit. They had it. They can build. They can, they can, they got, maybe they, they're an artist and they, they can, they just got it. Man, I can. I, I, I can't do. I can't do that. I can't draw and paint like that. I guess I could if I. I could do better if I dedicated myself to it. But it's not a natural talent. You can draw flies. But that's about it. You can laugh. And so, um, some people, musicians. I mean, they just pick it up. They, they can go from one musical instrument to the next. They just got it. It's just natural. Other people, they struggle. I, I remember uh, some of you 
Boy, I hope they're not recording this. But the, some of you remember Brother Tim Hall. I was raised around uh, Tim Hall and his sister Kim. Kim, and ever since I can remember when she was a little bit younger than me, and Tim was a whole lot younger, well, Kim, she took lessons, I mean, ever since I can remember. I mean, as soon as she was able to set up on a piano bench, she was taking lessons. I don't know if she still knows how to play a piano. And Tim, he could play one backwards and blindfolded. I mean kid just had it from the very beginning. He could play a lot of different instruments. That, you guys see him play the, the uh, piano or the keyboard, but he could play just about anything you put in front of him because he just had it. But you know, it's not just what you're born with. It's what you multiply and develop that counts. And if you've got desire, you can do it. You can do it. I'm going to conclude with this. There was a man in the church not a whole long ways from here, a small church. The church was kind of in a state of kind of fussing and fighting among themselves. It was a small church that was getting smaller. And there was a man that came up out of a big city and been involved in a gang and shot up and paralyzed on one side of his body and he could only walk because of braces, metal braces that were put on and that he just, I mean, every step was an effort. And he called for a man in the church that was also a new convert. Somehow he had moved to this small town where this church was and he called this other young man that was there in that town going to school, college. And he said, hey, I can't find anybody to take me to the church to pray. Would you bring me to the church? He said, well, I don't really have time to do that. He said, please. He said, you're the only one that can do it. And he said, you're the only one that will. Would you please come and get me? He said, well, I, I only have one hour. He said, you know, we can pray. Hour after an hour, I got to go. He said, okay. So he went to the church, and that hour went by. He said, I prayed for about 10 minutes. And he said, I prayed for the whole world. Thought I had it done. And he said, I walked over. And after an hour, I finally waited around. About an hour, he said, I went over and said, hey, man, it's time to go. And he said, he just kept praying. Three hours he prayed. Thought, man. Said, I won't be guilty of this again. And sure enough, the guy asked him to take him back to church, and he felt empathy for him, and he brought him back. And he said, this guy just kept on. Finally, he told him, he said, I don't mind taking you. He said, but man, an hour, that, that's plenty long. He said, maybe we can make some kind of a compromise here. I'll take you if you'll agree to shorten things up a little bit. And he said, nevertheless, he'd just keep praying and fervent. He said, finally, I, my prayer started stretching out. I got to where I could pray an hour and then an hour and a half. Finally, he said, I could match him prayer for prayer. He said, I was praying in there. And one day, we were praying in there. And we was had been praying for a long time. And he said, he came by me. He was uh, walking with that limp and that those braces. That was the only way he could even move, motivate around, just every step and effort. He said, I feel God. Called his name. He said, I feel God. 
He said, matter of fact, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, if I knock every door in this city, he said that city at that time had 25,000 people in it. If I knock every door in this city, he'd heal me. And he said, when he said that, I thought, you have went off the deep end. You can hardly walk across the room, much less walk up and down these streets. And he said, I began to take him, and we began to go day after day, knocking doors. He said, I was just a young new convert learning how to work for God. And he said, I watched that man as he'd struggle up the steps, pull himself up to the door, knock on the door, and talk to people. He said he had doors slammed in his face. He had doors uh, where people came to them and cussed him out. He didn't get discouraged. He just kept on. But he said, I remember months later in a service when God was really moving, he said, I heard some rattling over there, and he was taking those braces off. He was was taking all of those things, and he was unloosening those straps, and he was throwing them aside. I thought to myself, oh, Lord, he's going to fall flat on his face. He said, but I watched him begin to take weakened steps at first across that front of that building, steps that he could have never taken just a few months before. And then over the progression of time, God began to give him more strength and more strength. And God began to touch him in his body as a, as a result of somebody that had a desire that said, I'm just going to be obedient to the Lord. And he said, you know, God taught me something through that, that if that man in his condition could have a love and a burden for souls as he did, me, a healthy-bodied individual, I need to have a love and a passion for souls myself. At least I could tell somebody about Jesus every day. At least I could I could share the gospel with someone every day. Amen. And I'm, I'm going to tell you tonight, there's a lot of people that we're going to stand beside in eternity that have given of themselves and, and, and poured themselves out to try to win souls. And we've been given so much and blessed with so much. I'm going to tell you, God didn't give us this great, beautiful building and facility. And God didn't bring us as a church with this rich of a heritage to this point for us just to sit on our laurels and to be satisfied with it. But he wants us to take it further. He wants us to do more with it. I hope that somebody takes this to heart tonight. I hope you get the heartbeat of this pastor tonight. I'm going to improve. I promise and make a commitment to you before you tonight. I'm going to do better myself. I'm not coming as somebody pointing a finger of ridicule. I'm not coming just to rebuke somebody and say you could do better. I'm saying we We could do better. All of us could do better. If you feel what I'm talking about, why don't you raise your hands right where you are and why don't you pray the prayer, God, I want you to use me. God, I want you to anoint me.